Today's special guest, we have Samantha. She has been awarded as Forbes 30 Under 30, as well as 30 Under 30 with Hispanic Executive. She's currently a Senior Privacy Program Manager at ByteDance and also a founder of Latinas in Cyber. Such a mouthful, but she is an amazing woman, and we're so, so happy to have her on here. She's usually located between New York and Chicago, so she's actually close to me. Yeah, hopefully we meet one day, but thank you for being on and let the people know what you're about. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I always ask my guests, the first question is, how's life? How's your day going? (laughs) Uh, You know, things are well. I had a lot of travel for a couple of weeks, so I was all over the world and I am also getting back into like my Chicago routine as well as my New York routine. So I feel very blessed to be having a variety of opportunities available. Samantha, for our listeners, I guess we can dive in of how you got started with cybersecurity and then we'll kind of get into what you do and then how you started Latinas in Cyber. Of course, very important question. This is always the biggest question I get about entering the career field. Um, But ultimately, it wasn't something that I was totally aware of previously. I actually was a political science major in college. I worked for a state senator. I was involved in public policy. So I was just really interested in how regulations and law impacted a community and also the way that um, organizations and businesses were able to function. And then I also went and got my master's in technology management at the College of Business at the University of Illinois. So I had almost like this policy and this regulatory background, and then I was also embedding it with technology, um, with information systems and with business. So within that space, I really had this question of like, how do I create a story that marries both of these areas and creates like a trajectory for me? And someone else actually put two and two together for me. I actually had an alum from my program who was looking at my resume and he worked at KPMG and he asked me, he's like, hey, have you ever considered cybersecurity? And in that moment, you know, you're kind of thinking through the hacker and the hoodie moment and it's maybe not as realistic, but he did a great job of breaking down how strategy and governance and data privacy specifically really sits at the intersection of policy and technology and how it can impact a user or an organization um, or even like a C-suite. So how do you kind of implement privacy strategy from the top down? So from there, it became something that was really interesting to me. And I also felt like I didn't have to sacrifice uh, the previous experience I had had in liberal arts. And I just felt really excited about the opportunity. I was actually the first person in my graduate program to receive a job offer, which, you know, when you're the liberal arts major in a program of like STEM and engineers, it's kind of a big win. (laughs) But it really showed to me that um, there's just a lot of ways that you can approach cyber and technology. And what's most important is staying true to your interests, but also being really strong in the story that you present and being able to bridge those two connections to an employer and then showcasing saying that, you know, you have a learning mentality and you're ready to hit the ground running. That's amazing. Funny how you were like, oh, no, not a not a hacker in a hoodie. I don't know if I want to do that. When you were in that role at KPMG, if you could maybe take a take your mind back to those days, how was it starting? Do you remember anything in particular of while wow, this is kind of shocking to cybersecurity or were you very, you know, just intrigued to be in it? What were your thoughts back then when you were in that position? 
I would say probably a combination. Um, I truly recommend that anyone that starts their career starts in consulting because it gives you such a wide exposure to not only a variety of industries, but types of projects, team dynamics, and executive leadership. So at that time, um, I was hitting the ground running. I was traveling nonstop. I was working with retail, pharmaceutical, and tech clients. But ultimately, what I found to be most valuable was the overall exposure that I got to so many different areas of data privacy and also the level of ownership that I had. Because data privacy at the time, it was like the era of GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulation. And so many companies were really sort of starting to think at the very beginning, like, how do we incorporate privacy, not just into our strategy and our structure, but also externally to like an end user or an end customer? I really enjoyed that aspect of it, of being a part of that level of cognitive thinking, but also that corporate strategy and, and executing it within an organization. And having those kind of small bursts of projects also gave me the opportunity to learn really quickly, have broad exposure, and also build my leadership and my project management skills, which are ultimately transferable in any career field. And KPMG was a really positive experience for me. I worked um, I, like not only my full-time role, but I also led one of the initiatives in the Women in Cyber National Committee and had so many opportunities to talk about um, career development and professionalism and also mental health and being able to run events that aligned with cybersecurity awareness on a variety of fronts. That's neat that they have a, cy a woman in cyber national committee. Was that something that was created before you and then kind of still ongoing there? Yes, exactly. And what I really enjoyed about that is it was a lot of um, female leadership within cybersecurity nationally across KPMG and with different life stages. So you had associates and non-associates and you had directors and partners that were also involved. So it just built this national community for us and also a great reference point to be able to speak to other women that were having really a great career success in their time at the organization. I love when organizations have that and recognize the woman in cyber. So Samantha, this was your first role within cybersecurity. What a way to really get into this field. And then after that, you landed your position as a senior privacy program manager within ByteDance, TikTok, as people don't know, like I didn't, that that is the overall company of TikTok. How did you start that? And how is it going? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a very creative person. And it's something that I've always thought about how do I incorporate into my work life? I'm also a content creator and an influencer, and it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. So while I felt I had acquired such a great work experience and professional acumen, I was still yearning for almost like a playfulness or a level of creativity within my role. Cybersecurity can sometimes be a bit structured. It can sometimes be a bit stressful in a lot of ways. So the tone is a bit more formal. Um, at the time, I was looking at a couple of other organizations and TikTok just stood out to me as someone that was not just a pioneer in like the industry overall, but that was uh, really working to kind of put data privacy at the forefront for users and also create community. That was the era of like the pandemic where a lot of us were really on the platform and we were connecting with one another. Small businesses were being able to get their reach, even though a lot of storefronts were closing. And I resonated with that in a lot of ways. And ultimately, it's been a great experience thus far. I've been here for about two years. It's a great opportunity to have a cross-cultural collaboration. You have so much ownership over the things that you're working on. And ultimately, I also just love the platform. <laughs> I'm a TikTok girly and I just really enjoy it. And I, I love the values that it stands on. 
How would you explain how your day-to-day looks as a senior privacy program manager for somebody that maybe wants to do this as a field or while they're listening and they want to start their career into this? Like, what would you say this, you know, I know your day-to-day might change just like everyone else's role, but if you could give like a high-level overview of what you kind of do, what you handle, um, some of the things that you think somebody should maybe look into or know prior to this role. Absolutely. So it, like you mentioned, it does vary on a daily basis, but ultimately I'm really integral in launching projects and initiatives within the organization that not only collaborate across different business products. So TikToks is not the only product that ByteDance owns, but also across other areas of the organization. So like legal, security, product, engineering, and making sure that privacy is embedded across all of those different fronts. I also, this is newer to my role, but I'm really passionate about training and awareness. And it's something that I advocated as I wanted to get further involved because I did realize that sometimes our privacy acumen is always something that we can continue to learn, especially because the environment regulatory wise and just socially is changing so quickly and having an active role within training and awareness is important. One of the biggest things that I would recommend to anyone entering the career field is it's important to get your cybersecurity certifications. You know, I have my CIPM and I have worked in that regard, but I really believe having strong project management skills is essential and being able to handle kind of cross-cultural collaboration and also cross-team collaboration um, and handling the stakeholder investments from a couple of different areas and being able to merge them to kind of fit a broader picture. Those are some of the things that I've really come to realize are critical within my role. And it's an area that I truly enjoy. I also think you have a lot of ownership over the things that you want to launch. So if there's something that you're really passionate about, like I said, training and awareness, that is something that I was able to segue in rather easily. I love that about the role too. I think being from a technical background for myself and coming from technical cybersecurity roles and now I'm in a product managing role, it's very, very different from what expectations you have versus technical into a cross-functional role just like you have and I have today. And I think that these are just skills, like you said, that can really leverage you into any any role that you have. Being at ByteDance, TikTok, and having the experience now, do you see yourself um, ever feeling like you have imposter syndrome? Do you ever feel like sometimes it's not enough? I always ask my my guests this because it's it's a question that always comes up is, do you truly like it? Like, do you ever get tired of it? So I think, you know, one thing I'm I'm wondering is because, because we have to handle a lot as a program manager or product manager, um, what are some of the cons or not maybe cons, but just some of the things that you would, you would say that you really don't enjoy, or you kind of wish that you looked out for during your journey and your careers. That's something maybe this would go like alongside advice that you would even have for somebody that is in cybersecurity. And these are kind of the things that they should expect along those lines. It's such a great question. And I almost feel like I need to approach it like twofold, like one of them being the imposter syndrome part. And then the second one being like, how do you mitigate that? Um, But I have, I have to be honest, I have a controversial opinion. (laughs) I don't believe in imposter syndrome and I need you to hear me out. The reason being is that, so traditionally imposter syndrome was conducted on a series of researchers that were studying female women that were like really high achieving and high functioning um, but I think the term itself has just lended itself to almost have like a fem- a female-based association. Imposter in and of itself is kind of a negative tone and it, f- it speaks to being like 
almost criminal in a little way, you know, like you're kind of like the imposter in the room. And then syndrome almost takes this like medical or clinical tone to something that's actually a very normal experience. It's like every single entrepreneur that I've spoken to, every single tech CEO, et cetera, they all feel that there's always these moments of failure, of making mistakes, of feeling like you're not the smartest person in the room. But here's the point. The point is that if you are the smartest person in the room, then you need to change rooms because we're only going to grow when we're around people that are challenging us, when we're around people that we can learn from. And ultimately, when we normalize the fact that we're not always going to get it right. Bill Gates even says, he's like, if you're the smartest person in the room, like that's never the person that you want to be. You want to be surrounded above and beyond by people who are exceptional and who can challenge you to meet that level. On the same like thread of that, I do validate that there's times when you walk into a room and you're like, I am the only girl here or I'm the only Latina. And there's a moment where you're like, do I belong here? But what I encourage you to think about is those things might be more of like a systemic or a cultural or maybe like a, a bias within technology. It's not necessarily like your responsibility to kind of feel like the imposter. There's also an organizational push and a social push to just get more women into these spaces because there is that connection point where you meet someone and you're like, oh my goodness. I know I went, I walked to this um, cybersecurity conferences and I see a girl in like a fashion outfit. Like we immediately have a connection point and there's this moment where I'm like, okay, I feel seen, right? Like we have this conversation in this, this area of connection. Um, so that's in that area, that's something I'm pretty passionate about. I also feel that women in general, like we are a minority in a lot of these spaces like that's very normal to feel like you're walking into a room and you don't recognize yourself in other people but that's not necessarily something that we have to put the onus on ourselves like we're trying our best we're putting ourselves in difficult situations and we're learning new things and the most important thing that we can do is bring other women with us so that we can create a change in this culture and create more um just more of a presence within it and that's something that latinas in cyber really works to push on we're aware there's only a low amount of people in this space. And we're aware that there's a lot of people that kind of have the same idea that I had about, you know, maybe I don't fit the cyber role, but being visible and talking about it and saying like, hey, that's okay, but here are the other things that you can get involved. That's how we can kind of change that. And I also encourage people to think about, you don't go to college and take one class and do bad in that class and then be like, I'm not meant for college. Or you go driving and you have a bad day driving and you're like, I'm just a bad driver. Or you have one emotion, like you're really sad one day and you're like, I'm a sad person. You just acknowledge it. You validate it in that moment. You have it, you give it like the presence that it needs. And then you address the solution that's going to come after it. So that's what I encourage people as well. Um, I failed also my first semester of college. And so I feel like that zapped my imposter syndrome real quick because it would have been very easy for me to say like, I don't fit in the academic system. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this or I'm not that. But that just never occurred to me. To me, it was that I'm not having the right skills. I need to develop this. I need to ask questions. I need to get help. And I ended up graduating my master's and speaking at my college graduation. So your aptitude and your capability isn't necessarily defined by a one singular moment or you not getting it. It's okay to kind of validate that experience, but continue to move forward. Um, so I'll take, I'll take a pause there. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you agree with me? I feel like I have this conversation because it comes up so many times, but I'm really passionate about it. I want women to feel that you're not an imposter. It's not a syndrome. This is very normal. We all experience it. I experienced it today myself. And there's ways to overcome it as a team. If we normalize the experience and we make it visible so that you don't feel like you're the only one that's going through it.
No, that's true. I totally agree with that. I I get asked that a lot, like on my platform, on different tools and and even like my friends. But I, I had I can't remember who I was thinking of this while you were talking. I had somebody on my podcast who say, I don't think of it as us being a minority. I think as I think as if we are a majority. And that's because we stand out more. Um, if, if anything, it's an advantage to be a part of this majority, like Latinas in cyber, um, even, you know, even other groups that we have within cyber that take the initiative to recognize that. I think it's very common to where people outside of these groups and organizations that aren't really included in the discussions that we have. I think that there's a common, um, like misconception that maybe there's a lot of imposter syndrome that isn't being shown. I honestly do personally hate the term as well. Um, I usually say like, if you have any doubts in your careers and yes, I've doubted myself, but I also feel like, just like you said, if you're not the smartest person in the room, um, then you need to change rooms. And I think along what you said there also relates to different jobs, like when you know you're ready to go, when you know that you're outgrowing something that may be a friendship, a relationship, a job, creating boundaries and and just becoming more vigilant and more aware of like who you are and things. So I, again, I'm very passionate about this topic too. So we could go on and on, but <laughs> I, I want to segue into Latinas in cyber. And for those of you that don't know, Samantha is a founder, also VP of Latinas in Cyber, and it is an amazing organization that is also a nonprofit. So I won't even get into it. I will let you introduce what it is. Of course. And I'm glad that we share the same sentiment about it. It's it's something that I, I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, but ultimately, so yes, Latinas in Cyber is a nonprofit organization. It's led by women. It's for women. We're three Latina founders that kind of came together with a group of other Latina women as well to cultivate this vision and sort of this community-based need on creating an organization that really addressed not just general like diversity, but more so how do Latina women integrate themselves into technology and cybersecurity career fields? So we launched within the last year and we've had incredible community support and community partnership. We've worked with organizations such as Google, as Fortinet, as Coal Fire, as Palo Alto. So I really have feel a lot of gratitude for how our community has shown up for us. We've also hosted an international award that highlights over 50 women in Latin America and in the United States that are leaders in cybersecurity. And we hosted a certificate with Google that is an introduction to cybersecurity where we had over 350 women that were registering to get their first job in cybersecurity. Outside of that, we also take a really one-on-one -on -one peer approach. We launched the Mentorship Academy with 15 women where we talked a lot about not just professional acumen and cybersecurity domains, but also something you alluded to earlier, which is how do you kind of manage a career professionally? How do you set boundaries? How do you establish you know, self-care? How do you mitigate burnout? Um, and how do you kind of understand some of those social undertones and cues that are involved in cybersecurity and in the just business and tech space in general that if you're not involved with it previously, you may not be aware of. So our founders are Angela Hill and Vanessa Morales, and we have just this really amazing friendship where we've come together to not only assess the world that we want to see for cybersecurity for women ahead of time in the future, but also think about it today, now, what does that mean and how can we have an impact on the women that are entering this career space as we speak? 
I love it. I love it. How did you guys get started on this? I saw some footage from the international conference online and I was like, oh my gosh. So I always say that um, Latinas in Cyber is a pandemic baby because at the time um, we weren't really connected. So Angela Hill actually bought the domain for Latinas in Cyber years prior. And for her, she really wanted to initiate a community, but you know, like everything, sometimes when you have an idea about yourself, it kind of takes a team to bring it to life. So she ended up DMing about eight or 10 of us on LinkedIn to kind of come together and think through the brainstorming and how we wanted to initiate this. And so for the first six to eight months, we had a great team of women that all kind of worked together to assess, you know, what is our experience within cybersecurity? How can we relate that into tangible programming and to launch an organization? Um, towards the end of it, we had to kind of figure out our leadership standpoint, and that's where the three of us came together to kind of carry the mission forward. But we were really grateful to have just this community effort at first that launched programming and then a community effort afterwards. We have women on our directors, co-leads, program managers that are all Latina women hosting programming for Latina women. And that matters. It's really a big and important area. And currently in a program right now, it's like an executive leadership program for cybersecurity leaders. And one of the things that we talk about is just there isn't a lot of programming directed towards Latinos, especially when it comes to cyber. So when we're trying to introduce them into this career field, it's important that it feels custom in a way that it feels personalized. And it's not just like, oh, every nonprofit is doing the same thing. LEIC takes a really unique approach in building that relationship and building that community. Actually, we had one of our members who was on the Mentorship Academy when we first started. She's now on our leadership committee. And that's because we take in the life cycle of someone's career field and we feel personally invested in a lot of those experiences. Obviously, it's not realistic for everyone, but ultimately that is a priority for us in a lot of ways. So we want you to feel like you have a team of women that can kind of bring you forward into the career, answer your questions and be like this like older sister role in that space. That's what everyone needs. And I think especially women in cybersecurity is almost that older sister, somebody to rely on. Even if you do have an older sister, I think somebody in cyber is more relatable how how can I get started? How can somebody get involved? Do you have to be Latina? Absolutely. So what the things that we say is that we prioritize our programming and target for Latina women, but we know that there are so many other individuals that can benefit from it. So obviously, if you're interested, you can always participate. The best things that I would do is start with our digital community. That's number one, signing up for our newsletter. That's on our website. You can register with your email. Every month we said job opportunities, internship opportunities, exclusive events for our community. And also we highlight the women in our community so that you can build a closer network. From there, we also have a Discord channel um, that is targeted towards different domain areas and different uh, different regions as well. So that women also have an opportunity to not just like meet with us as leadership, but also meet with their community and build friendships and build a networking chance. Additionally, we host a lot of online panels and virtual sessions on LinkedIn. Um, we have an exceptional one coming out in a couple of weeks. We also have a series called the Cyber C-Suite where we cover executives talking about hot topics within cybersecurity. And then the lastly is our programming. So this can extend anywhere from like a dinner that we're hosting in a city based on where our membership is based or a certification where you can register for free or at a low cost and get access to a cybersecurity certification with a custom team that will help you kind of work through any nuances or questions that you may have and be able to get some of that technical acumen under your belt. 
ultimately we focus a lot on like that entry level individual. So the person that wants to enter the career field or transition into it. And also our programming is stemming towards executive level. So how do we also support our cyber executives, get them into the C-suite, make sure that they feel supported and that they have a network um, and make sure that that life cycle from like beginning, from entry to executive is something that they're able to sustain. That sounds very fun. So I, I think I need to look into it. I I have been wanting to network more. So I, I was advised this. I was advised, even if you see, you know, I'm also in Blacks in Tech and, and just different initiatives and different groups, women in tech. There's a hacker community here in Indy. But I'm very, I'm very focused on indie and like being in person and, and I need to, you know, spread my Verizon, spread my interest and, and everything else outside of Indiana um, and indie itself, because I think there's so much out there and there's so many more people to meet. And I meet all of you guys on the podcast and it's amazing. So maybe one day I, I always think about it too, like hosting a dinner with all my women who secure guests in another city and just doing something fun. I think when you, when you have that step from almost caring for someone or just keeping in touch with someone from entry level to C-suite, that's, that's tremendous. And I think it speaks for itself for somebody to be part of an organization like that for so long, right? Throughout their journey or somebody that just relies, relies on it. I mean, just like when guests message me about the podcast and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know, like I got that much attention. <laughs> and then it's, it's just so sweet that they're like, like they would be like, oh, can I connect with Samantha? Like, can you, you know, introduce me. And I'm like, well, like I personally don't do that, but reach out to her on LinkedIn. I think I have a friend actually in Latinas in Cyber and she's in Chicago as well. So I've, yeah, it's not like the first time I've seen it. Um, so I'm so happy that you guys are doing that. And it's, it's so exciting to know that we have something out there. It almost feels like a big hug to, to the community, you know, because you don't, you don't really have that. And just like you said, something to make them feel inclusive and it's geared towards you because I'm sure if you guys are listening and and anyone else that has been in different groups or communities knows that it's not as warm it's not as fuzzy and it's not as inclusive and and sometimes some people just need to look for what else is out there so really sweet really glad that um you guys are doing that and I can't wait to hear more about it. For those that are maybe interested in the mentorship, I know you touched a little bit on this. If somebody wanted to be mentee or mentored or or a mentor, how do they sign up for that? Do they have to pay a certain price? Um, should they just go on the platform? Like, how would that work? So my biggest recommendation is to follow us primarily on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Um, also register for our newsletter. Anything that we announce will be published on those three platforms primarily. Our mentorship academy will be launched in the early 2024, so like January, February. It is of zero cost. One of the biggest things that we know is that there is sometimes a financial barrier when you're kind of building up your professional and technical acumen. So we want to make these resources available and cost-friendly to our audience. Um, and what we recommend is once you see those announcements come out, fill out our application. We'll have applications for mentors and for mentees. And it is a small cohort. It's by intention because we want it to feel intimate. We want it to feel like one-on-one. -on -one. So just make sure that you really put a lot of effort into your overall application so that we can understand your needs and your passion for getting into it and how we can best serve that as well. 
And I wanted to talk about something that you just mentioned earlier, which is about the importance of like a need-based community. Um, and that's something we've really come to realize because in theory, we could have approached this from like generally like women in cybersecurity, but we've really come to find out that there are so many nuances to our community, um, not just in the like the issues that we face, but like the cultural con context, the languages, the, um, you know, like the aspects of where our families are from, all of those things matter. And those social and cultural undertones affect how sometimes women approach STEM careers. So having that customized approach, also having women that like, we are Latina women, we are in cybersecurity, like we are you in so many ways, we've been in your shoes, that also matters. When we're talking about representation and visibility, where it's not just a front, there really is this tangible experience and life experience that we're speaking from and that we want other women to be in. And in reality, Latinas also face the largest wage gap. It's something that Latina Equity Pay Day just talked about where Latinas take X amount of time to make 55 cents to every dollar that a white male makes. And that accounts to millions of lost income over their entire lifetime. So when we think about cybersecurity, it's not just a certification or a career path, it's also generational wealth, it's financial independence, it's women having access to a financial stability for themselves, it's also PTO benefits, it's also healthcare benefits, insurance benefits, work from home capabilities, there really is just this entire ecosystem of resources and career opportunities that exist within cybersecurity that we want to elevate and we want to educate people on so that they can feel excited about entering it and having ownership over their career in that space. Wow, that's amazing, Samantha. I I think that I needed that a long time ago. You know, I think there's there's a community that you just kind of need while you're growing up and entering the space. I think one thing that I took away from that is you kind of took me back to my college days. And when when I am applying to these jobs, I didn't know back then that you can negotiate all these different things, like you said, PTO, different benefits that you have. And I think that people nowadays don't see that as that's a whole package. Like you're not just negotiating the salary, but you have to look at in case of, you know, it, it may be discrimination to to your days off, to the days that you get to the sick days that you get and all this kind of varies within as well as additional salary. And I also think um, technology is a, there is like a lot of luxury, I think, involved. There's a lot of perks and um, not all traditional career fields really allow for that. I also think that really high paying career fields typically have sort of an academic barrier, correct? Like you have mm -hmm. to get or you have to get certain exams or, you know, your MCAT or your CPA, whatever. Right. And security is more skills-based and it's more certification-based. So there's also this like flexible um, entry into the career field that I think we can also promote to women um, because realistically, you know, there are a lot of variety of academic fields that people can come from. And it's also important that we advocate that, you know, there is a space for them as well. That's why I always say, I was like, I was a liberal arts major and it, that's, I knew so many women that were in liberal arts and so many men as well. They came from all these diverse backgrounds that were highly successful in cyber. Cause while cybersecurity may be a very technical and sort of like driven aspect from technology, it's still a people situation. And some of our biggest vulnerabilities are people. So when we talk about the infrastructure of an organization or of our strategy or of our training, it's critical that women and Latina women are at the forefront of those developments. Even when we talk about like technological bias or we expand that into like artificial intelligence and how that is being fed off of models of data and information, 
if we don't have representation into that, that's going to create this whole long-term scenario um, that may be exclusive of the communities that will still be impacted and, you know, have a reference from the technology that they're using. So for me, when I talk about cyber, I swear it's like, it's just so much bigger than people just like, oh, I'm just going to apply for a job. And I want people to see that that is my biggest area. And, you know, I'm first generation American. I I'm in my late twenties. I bought my first apartment. I have the opportunity to build my retirement fund. I have the opportunity to live in two different cities. Like that is a really huge benefit and a huge luxury. And a lot of it, I owe it to my career field in this space. It's a privilege. I say like, it's, it's such a privilege to to be able to do all these things and to learn about these things and, and to know that there's a community out there that helps and is supportive is, is really what we need. I think just like you said, technology is, is people and most people and organizations don't realize that, that are really higher up. They don't, they don't see that it's the users, it's, it's the vulnerabilities, it's what's not getting seen. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, that is good. I'm so glad that we connected on that topic and, it's it's amazing to hear you speak more in depth about these things and your concerns and, and your passions. I think you're so passionate and I think that's why you're also a leader within Latinas in Cyber, but also you've been recognized and awarded as Forbes 30 under 30 with Chicago first. And then Samantha has also been with 30 under 30 within Hispanic executive. So Forbes is, is big. I, I think everyone knows about Forbes and, and TikTok and things, but I think you deserved this. Like I read the whole article on you and it was amazing how they spoke about you. Can you just tell us how, Samantha, within Forbes and recognized and how do you feel? Like, has it changed your life? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I love that. Um, you know, for me, Forbes, I don't stand there as like just Sam Belay. I stand there as like part of a community. Um, it was based in Chicago. So otherwise it would have been like me and my three founders up there. Um, but for me, a lot of it was about bringing visibility into not just our organization, but to the importance of unique organizations that focus on demographics and make sure that they receive the programming that they require. There's also just not a lot of women in cybersecurity. And I put up my pageant headshot with there. I was like, I am coming in guns blazing because I really just want to reframe the narrative around what like cybersecurity looks like and what women in cybersecurity look like. Um, So ultimately I've been so blessed and so happy. I also feel like it has brought so many people to me and asking me questions about my career field and also saying that like they feel inspired seeing someone that kind of represents this like new generation of women in STEM and it encourages them to pursue their own career fields. You know, I had this one presentation that I gave to an organization and um, I was so excited. I was just like very genuine and authentic. And I had so many women message me afterwards saying I was like the first person, woman under 30 that had given a presentation for this company, especially to be like in pageants and to have be an influencer and to be in cybersecurity. They were like, sometimes you're in these spaces and you feel like maybe I'm too feminine or I'm too this. And just seeing someone in that like full sense of self and being really passionate about it. I think it gives other people permission to say, I can do that as well. And I want to like formalize my own story and speak to it to other individuals. And, um, 
it's important. It's important that we have names and faces and people that we can look up to. And there's so many women that I follow. I have so many entrepreneurs. I was like obsessed with Whitney Wolf from Bumble. Like I just like loved her story. And I really resonated with that. And I would always carry my little Forbes magazines when there was like a woman on the cover. I remember there was like an entrepreneur cover and it was the first woman that I saw pregnant on the cover of a business magazine. And she was like the CEO of The Wing, which was you know, it had its own things that happened, but I remember that so impactful for me that I bought the magazine and was like, this is a crazy moment. I have never seen a pregnant woman in like a cover of a business magazine. So never underestimate the power of just like diversification, not just in like background, but just in how we present women in these career fields and owning that. Like I know so many women that are in like karate and martial arts and they they associate that with their cybersecurity or women that are in like in sports and they incorporate it into that. The world needs your story in the ways that you want to present it and then the nuances that are unique to you. And that's ultimately what I encourage people to really lean into um, and to own because we need that and we need you in this space doing that. That's very true. I just had somebody on that does jujitsu and she just started her own company within jujitsu and cybersecurity. So it's, it's true. You need to have your story and tell, tell it all. I think it's more relatable. I want to backtrack for those of you that don't know about Samantha. She's beautiful, but she was also in a pageant. Samantha, can you tell us more about that? And you can keep it short if you want, but I think it's just something that you don't just say in a sentence. I think it's so cool that you did it. And from what I've seen like in TV and TV and stories that I've seen, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Like, I don't think, you know, a lot of people might think it's not, but I think I see it and it's tremendous amount of work that you put into a pageant. Yeah. I always say that my first like professional experiences came from pageantry because, you know, I was 13 years old and I was looking for sponsors and I was building my personal interview skills and establishing my elevator pitch. You were um, so young. How did you get I- into that were your parents like putting you in that (laughs) you know it's so funny I think someone recommended me and I got a letter in the mail and at the time I you know I was I was like 13 I was begging my mom I was in the hotel mom please like just let me go I would love to do it um little does she know like we ended up all doing it as a family and it was just like this whole thing I did for years later but ultimately I'm Venezuelan. Venezuela is very big in the pageant world. And so it's, I think in my blood in some like subconscious way, but in all reality, honestly, I think pageantry is such a professional sport. I think it teaches you teamwork. It teaches you competitiveness, um, personal excellence. It teaches you also like professional speaking skills. You have interviews that happen within three minutes and you're competing against 70 other women and you have to know your story and effectively communicate that. Um, I also teaches you a lot about personal branding. Like how do you kind of pull your story together and be able to execute and have that? And I competed for five years before I won um, Miss Illinois Teen. And so I also learned a lot. Like, it's so funny if you see my first picture and then the year I won, it's like, there's so much growth that happens in that. Um, But again, going back to our imposter syndrome, maybe that's also why I don't feel like I believe in it because every year a different girl could win and every judge could pick a totally different girl and so you kind of just learn to accept that, that it's not that like, I'm not good or or whatever, but different judge, different day, different winner. And I think that's a really healthy mindset to have. You All you can do is really show up, do your best, have like the excellence with everything that you do, make friends, and then come back next year if you don't win. And 
I ended up winning my last year and it's something that I've always been very passionate about. And I'm also involved in the Miss Illinois USA system now. And it's something that I really thoroughly enjoy. Um, speaking about representation, our Miss USA is Venezuelan now. She's like the first Venezuelan to ever win. And I remember I told my mom and we both just had this like stunning moment where we're like, oh my gosh, it's Venezuela. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Like, how crazy. That's so exciting. So everything in that aspect is really, I'm really excited about it. I love that. That's so sweet. That's so cool that you did it. And at a young age now, like from, from looking back and you're saying like, you've had so much growth. I think it's, it's very important to look back on, on who you became, what you were, and then how you are today. And really what makes you that today, like you said, because you maybe don't believe in the imposter syndrome. Like that's such a young age. Like I look back at 13, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know about any of that. So that's, it's, it's so amazing to see that you've kind of evolved. You know, you're like a little flower, then you grow from here and now you're just blooming and blooming and blooming. So it's it's amazing to see that. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about 30 under 30 Hispanic executive? Absolutely. So Hispanic executive really highlights Latino leadership. Um, it's also, I think, just critically important to have like a professional Latino voice in that space. They cover anything from like media to pop culture that's happening to elevating professionals and executives in that area. And I was just really driven by the mission because a lot of the prompts for this award talked about like, how are you specifically impacting the Latino community? Why is that important to you? And ultimately, what do you hope to achieve? Uh, and I just always felt really connected to my community. You know, my mom is Venezuelan. My dad is from Spain. I've lived in both countries. I speak fluent Spanish, but like maybe I don't look the part necessarily. So I've always kind of also had this journey of figuring out like, well, what does Latina mean to me? And like, am I Latina enough? Or, you know, however I want to frame it. Um, so there was always this moment where I was like, yes, I am. And it's because I decide what being Latina means to me. And I get to redefine that moment. And it's also important that this new generation of like second or first generation kids can see that, you know, being Latina has all of these other nuances as well. So I really just felt driven by their values and their mission. And they elevate like Latino leaders across a variety of different industries. And I remember seeing their previous nominees and I'm like, these people are so cool. Like, I'm so happy to see people my age doing these exceptional items. And I just, I felt really encouraged by that. So I, I applied, like, that's what a lot of these, so these awards are. You just apply, you have your story, you really make sure that you're crisp and that you understand the why of what you're doing. And then, you know, the rest is up to the, the judges themselves. That's exciting. You're involved in so many different ways. And I think it's all a part of who you are. Samantha, for our listeners, what can we look forward to you for the future? What future plans do you have with yourself that you want to share or with Latinas in cyber or at work? Anything personal going on? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think within Latinas in Cyber, we're really excited to kind of launch new programming next year. Um, we want to expand on our certification capabilities, and we also really want to expand on like the technical programming that we have for the Cyber C-Suite. That's an area that we've noticed there is just a huge demand, and it's we really want to invest in that. Um, on a personal front, I don't know. I feel like I'm ready for like a little bit of a rest moment. <laughs> like I love the holidays because I love the opportunity to spend time with my family and to just kind of slow down and being, you know, in two different cities that are pretty like have a lot of momentum. That's something that I'm really looking forward to. 
Um, and I think I focus on my blog and content creation. That's also an area I'm passionate about. I focus on like travel and lifestyle and giving life advice um, and also kind of doing it with like a glamorous undertone as well to just encourage women to live life on their own terms and kind of make decisions in a way that elevates them in a like professional and personal manner. So that's the, those are the things I'm most excited about. I love it. I'm excited too for you. Samantha's Instagram and your blog and everything just feels warm. I love your content, first of all. (laughs) And it's, yeah, you're so creative. And I think, I think a lot of people can take away from this podcast that, you know, with the things that you're kind of managing and taking under your belt is all the things that you're really passionate for. And you're finding all these different avenues to not only be creative, but also have some leadership involved. And I think that's so important because, you know, you not always anyone can make or mix the two together. You know, I think it's very hard to mix leadership and creativity together. But I think that you're, you're paving the way for for those younger Latina girls that are looking up to you, the Venezuelan girls. And, and I think, yeah, like they're looking at you like, Oh my gosh, I want to be her. Speaking of like being your younger self, what what would be the advice that you would give your younger self kind of looking back at maybe before 13 or that 13-year-old girl that you you were with a pageant and stuff? This is such like a great question. You know, I got lunch with one of my really close friends um since I was in elementary school and she Aww. made this comment. She's like, you know, Sam, I've grown up next to you. I've seen you live like 20 different lives. She's like, I saw fashion Sam. I saw emo girl Sam. Like I saw all every stage. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think there were a lot of times in my life where I just like, didn't know what was going on. I honestly was like, I have no idea how my life is going to work out. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know what I'm going to study. I changed my major five times. And I think I became really comfortable with ambiguity and with having like a strong sense of self-trust and being like, I don't have to have everything figured out, but I know that one day I will. And until that point, like every little brick will get laid in the right direction and I'll get there eventually. So I think I would just tell her that like everything you're doing, stay true to who you are, enjoy the things that you are. And like, don't ever let anyone dim your light because those different phases or essences of who you want to be are all going to kind of come together in this like accumulation of a professional person. And we have that depth when we allow ourselves to step into those little nuances of who we are as people. Um, And I really think staying true to yourself gives you a lot of personal peace. That's something that I'm really passionate about. You know, I go to therapy and I I have meditation and journaling practices. So I want to feel good when I go to sleep at night. I want to feel confident and fulfilled and like at ease. And I think that I'm able to do that because I've always been true to who I am. And I've always kind of allowed myself to live like 30 different lives, travel the world, do different majors. And I've never... Like I've never punished myself for it. I've always allowed that to be a strength. Um, so I think, you know, fi- you can figure it out, but it doesn't need to be linear. And it's always funny. People look at my LinkedIn and they're like, oh my gosh, you, it seems like you just went from point A to point B was so linear. I'm like, you have no idea what happened behind the scenes. You have no idea like the chaos that was going on in so many different stages of my life. But I think ultimately a really strong skill set that I have is I always try to pick like, what is like the next best thing that I could be doing? Like, what is the next level of improvement? And like, I'm always in the right direction. Maybe I may not be at that final stage where I'm like, 
this is exactly how I want things to look, but I'm very careful and cautious and selective with the things that I do take on to make sure that I'm investing my energy and time in the areas I know will lead me in that right direction. That's beautiful. That's such good advice. And I'm so excited to just see what you're going to do next. And I hope we stay in touch. You're such an amazing person and you're doing all the great things. And I'm so excited, so happy for you with everything going on. And it's such an honor to have you as a guest on the podcast. Well, first I want to like kick it back as a highlight for you. I know you launched your new website. I know thank you doing so many different things and you're also very active on your socials but I think what you're doing is exceptional I think you're also providing a very candid like girl conversation like girls club moment and that matters you know I feel like I'm a different version of myself when I'm connecting with people that I'm that I know that just get it and that they're also experiencing and there's so many shared environments and communities that we come from so I just want to emphasize that as being like something I really admire and respect um I don't, the last one I would say is just get involved with Latinas in cyber. Let's like build this up. Even if you maybe aren't Latina, you aren't entry level, but you want to get involved. Like we are taking on sponsors for 2024. We're also taking on corporate partnerships um, and maybe potential mentors as well for our mentorship academy. But in reality, like I said, from the beginning, like this is not about me. This is like such a bigger social and cultural um, approach that we really want to take to getting more women into cybersecurity and whatever you can do to contribute to that and elevate that. And even if you're an executive listening, like promote your women, pr- like educate their, you know, the boards on what they're doing and highlight their visibilities and their wins. That's the biggest impact that realistically that we can have. Um, and also you as an individual, like stepping into your own unique attributes and not being like nervous or scared to like own up to that. And please, the imposter syndrome is <laughs> one thing that I can end on. Throw it away. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so over it. It's just, it's like a very normal thing. And I feel like for men, they always frame it like, oh, fail forward. Oh, I'm on my fourth startup or whatever. Right. Like Michael Jordan talks about like having like a thousand shots or Albert Einstein talked about having a thousand experiments before he reached the ones that he was really proud of. Like we've normalized so many other dialogues when it comes to like making mistakes and failure with men. Let's do the same thing for women. And like, let's just incorporate that you don't have to know it all to be qualified and knowledgeable and a leader within your career field. You can still do all those things, even if you're, you know, figuring it out along the way, because the secret is that we all are figuring it out. (laughs) Amazing, amazing advice. Samantha, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much for your time. And for everyone wanting to get involved or included into Latinas in Cyber, or even contact Samantha, please read the description, the bio, everything will be in there. I will include her LinkedIn, Latinas in Cyber links, and any additional links that Samantha sends me. So thank you everyone for tuning in. And Samantha, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate it.